Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We will pick up uh, our study of the book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 27, and we'll read the first 22 verses, and we will, as we've done the last few weeks, we will revisit a subject that Solomon has brought up before us before, and that is the subject of friendship. And so join with me as we read our scripture reading from today from Proverbs 27, beginning in verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, someone else's, uh, someone else and not your own lips. Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but provocation by a fool is heavier than both. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. He who is full loathes honey, but to the hungry even what is bitter tastes sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and pleasantness of one's friends springs from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father, and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart, and I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Take the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger. Hold it in pledge if he does it for a wayward woman. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. He who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who looks after his master will be honored. As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of a man. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but man is tested by the praise he receives. Though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding him like grain with a pestle, you will not remove his folly from him. Let us pray. Our great God above, we do ask today that you show us yourself and ourselves in this passage. Show us where we fall short of your glory and lead us through the power of the, of the cross to pursue holiness through the work of our Lord and Savior and the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little over 10 years ago, Anthony Esselin wrote an article for Touchstone Magazine called Requiem for Friendship. In the article, he laments the sad reality that in our culture, the institution of friendship has fallen on hard times. He argues that we have redefined and, and limit, so limited the definition of the word love that friendship is suffering because we always assume anymore that all love must be sexual. He goes on to explain that this harm comes to our culture, especially through young men. The loss of friendship like those between Sam and Frodo, between Hawkeye and BJ, 
between David and Jonathan, between Jesus and his disciples has stunted the maturity of men in our culture. The lack of true, deep friendship in our culture leads young men into folly rather than into wisdom. And Solomon understood and understands the importance and sweetness of friendship, and he calls Rehoboam and us to cherish friendship so that we might grow to be wise men. In verses 9 through 11 of today's passage, he reminds us of the sweetness as he says, you know, perfume, that that sweet-smelling aroma or incense that brings joy and peace to our heart is like the pleasantness of having a friend around us who brings us wise counsel. Sometimes water is thicker than blood, he goes on to say, in saying that not that we should ignore our family, but there are times in disaster and times in trouble where sometimes it's better to have a good friend close than it is to have family members far away. And then, of course, he reminds us of the joy of parents in having wise children that comes through the friendship that sharpens one man as iron sharpens iron. And that's the importance of friendship there, is that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You ever had that knife that you grabbed out of the block in the kitchen and it just wouldn't cut anything? It had nicks, little teeny tiny nicks and chips out of the edge of the knife blade. And what did you do? Grab the sharpening rod out of the other side of the knife block or out of that drawer where it resides in your kitchen. And you honed it on the block as, the, as it peels away those, the, the metal from those chips and those nicks. And you're left with a shining, sharp carving knife that will cut up the turkey or the roast. Friends are that way. They are sweet. They are pleasant to us because they sharpen and hone us. For a life lived in wisdom. And Solomon highlights for us three ways in which our friends sharpen and hone us. By talking about how they protect us from temptation. They protect us from pride. And they protect us from judgment. First, they protect us from from temptation. Verse 13 points out that the wise see danger coming. And they hide from it. And yet the fool continues to walk right into the open danger. And we know from the rest of the passage, verses 13 through 21, that the danger that he's talking about there that the wise see and hide from is the danger of temptation. When we are tempted, we have not yet sinned. As long as we don't act upon the temptation to call somebody a name or to lust, we have not yet sinned. And and a good friend will help us when it comes to dealing with temptation through providing accountability through providing somebody to run to, through providing somebody to remind us of the gospel hope that we have. Do you have someone that you can call when temptation strikes? Someone who you can trust that will answer that temptation with God's grace and with God's goodness. Or maybe you have a friend who is willing to confront you when you are dabbling, when you're flirting with temptation. He loves you enough to call you out when he sees you pursuing sin in your life, seeking to protect you from the consequences of falling into temptation. So what are some of the temptations that he focuses on here that the good friend protects us from? Well, the first in verses 14 through 16 is a good friend protects us from being quarrelsome. I've gotten to a point in my study of Proverbs where I just chuckle at some of these. 
as I read through them. And verse 14 is one of those. Verse 14 says, If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. The picture there is a man, he's got his coffee cup in his hand, he's, he's heading out to grab the, the newspaper off the driveway or out of the little box there, and he sees his neighbor across the street, and he goes, Hey, how you doing today? Everything going well. And his neighbor goes, What? You're arguing with me, you're yelling at me, Why? Apparently the neighbor hasn't had his coffee yet either. But the reality is that sometimes we can be loving. We can be where we think we are. We can think we're being loving. We think we can be kind. We think we're being uplifting. And yet our attitude, our, our, the, the stance of our face, the tone of our voice comes across as cutting, as sarcastic, as biting. And sometimes a friend comes to us and says, you know, when you're, when you're giving people compliments, maybe you should smile a little bit. He goes on to compare the, the, the quarrelsome person to the quarrelsome wife or the quarrelsome spouse. Trying to c- control the quarrelsome person is like trying to squeeze and to grab onto a handful of olive oil into your hand. You ever tried to pour olive oil into your hand and just hold on to it? It goes everywhere. It oozes out through your fingers. It, it just runs down your arm. It just makes a big mess. Like trying to hold on to the wind. And so the wise person keeps us from the temptation of being quarrelsome in our life. Verse 18 points out that the wise friend protects us from the sin of sloth. He talks about there that that he who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit and he who looks after his master will be honored. We've seen earlier in Proverbs several times the, the, the call to the sloth to be active, to be diligent, to be faithful in his labor. And the the picture here is that you'll eat pleasant fruit if you tend your garden and you'll you'll be wise in the community if you tend to your job well. And so a wise friend uh, protects us from the temptation to sloth. Verse 20 shows that we are protected from the temptation to lustful eyes. Now, this isn't merely sexual lust that he's talking here. It's the lust for the things of this life. The author of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes chapter four, beginning in verse eight, he says there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. We have a tendency sometimes to get so allured and enamored by the things of this world. And a good, wise friend will point us to, to, to look toward the glory of God rather than to try to fill and to satiate our lives, the thirst of our lives with the things of this world. As Solomon says, just like the death can ne- just like the grave can never be filled with death, so our pursuit and our lust over the things of this earth can never be satisfied as well. And verse 21 points to the fact that the wise friend protects us from temptation of letting praise go to our head. How you handle, how you deal with compliments and praise says a lot about who you are. Some of the best advice I ever got was don't let criticism go to your heart or praise go to your head. The wise friend will help to keep us humble. The wise friend will remind us of who we are before God, of our standing before God, of our standing as the image of God 
with others in the rest of this world, and he will help to keep us humble. And so the wise friend protects us from temptation. But sometimes we give in to temptation, specifically the temptation to pride. And so the wise friend protects us from that as well. Proverbs 27, 1 through 8 points to the reality that many times we will be tempted to, to praise ourselves or to boast in our own plan and to become the fool. We have a picture of what, what the fool turns us into or what pursuing folly and pride turns us into as we go through these first eight verses. First, uh, the fool, the proud fool is insufferable. You know the person who's always boasting about all the things that they're going to do in the next few days or tomorrow or the glorious vacation that they're going to take and not in a way that's just talking about it and their joy and their exuberance, but their, their pride like the guy in Luke that Jesus talks about who, who had uh, a great year for his crops and his storehouses were overflowing. And he says, look, I, look at how great I am doing. So I'm going to build new storehouses. And I am going to hoard all of this stuff for myself because I'm such a wonderful farmer. And Jesus says, how foolish you are because you don't know that God will take your life from you. James even echoes this in James 3 where he says, you make plans where you say, tomorrow I'll go to this city and do this job. And he says, keep God's will in your mind. The, fool, the proud fool also uh, provokes others when his pride is attacked. When, and when somebody seems to be above him, he will add cruelty and fury to his pride. And he becomes a machine of destruction as he bulldozes through the lives of other people. The proud fool also gives love when rebuke is necessary. He, he hides his motives with loving kisses when he should be calling the friend to account. He gets diminishing returns on the compliments that he has and that he gives. And he strays from his family, from his church, from wisdom. The wise friend protects us from the insufferable destruction that pride brings to ourselves and she does this through open rebuke. Better is open rebuke, says verse 5, than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In our culture, oftentimes we have equated love with unconditional acceptance. Regardless of whether or not the behavior that we are called to unconditionally accept leads us to destruction or not. The false idea that disagreement equals hate is destructive to people and to our society. And Solomon reminds us of the bad that comes from that. Open rebuke is the greater expression of love than the allowance of sin in one's life. A true and trustworthy friend will be willing to wound us in order to bring us to a place where we put pride aside. Much like a doctor, to bring healing sometimes has to hurt. The good friend, the wise friend, will confront us in our sins. And as I said, this is hugely countercultural in our world. I mean, I'm only slightly exaggerating here, but our culture works according to the model of I'm okay. I've got a couple little flaws, but the other seven plus billion of you need to accept me how I am and get with the program. 
You put two people in a marriage with that attitude and what do you have? A recipe for disaster. You put 60 to 70 people with that attitude together in a church and what do you have? You have us showing up bruised and bleeding to the wedding feast. A wise friend will love us enough and will love us truly as they confront us in order to protect us from the destruction of pride. And they do that because they also protect us from judgment. Verse 22 says, Though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding him like grain in a pestle, you will not remove his folly from him. A couple years ago, we, we had inadvertently bought some spices that were whole seed spices. And the little bladed coffee maker that we had just wouldn't cut it in grinding up these spices. So we'd seen on cooking shows and YouTube videos this mortar and pestle, this uh, stone bowl with a, a stone, uh, oblong stone uh, tool that you put the, the seed into the bottom of it and you just rub them together like this and you grind. Actually, it was much more effective on the spices than the blade grinder was. But every now and then you get a seed or maybe it's actually a little piece of rock that you just kind of roll around in that mortar and pestle and nothing happens to it. It's, it's, it's rock hard for some reason and it just won't grind. It just won't turn into the powdered spice that you want it to do. And what do you do with it? You throw it out. It's worthless. It's useless. And that's the picture that Solomon gives us here. He says there's going to be some fools, the mocker, is going to come along and they're going to be so full of pride, so given into temptation that no matter what you do, no matter how much you confront them or call them to holiness, they're just going to be like that one seed that just won't grind in the mortar and pestle. And the longer you go, the worse they get. We turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, we see a picture of this as well. As God is talking through the prophet Jeremiah and he says, Therefore, the showers have been withheld and no spring rains have fallen. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush with shame. Have you not just called to me, my father, my friend from youth? Will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. One of the things that God promised the Israelites when they entered the promised land was that the rains would fall so that the land could produce as long as they were faithful to him. And the picture here in verse three says, I've taken the rain away from you. And yet you're still evil. My judgment is upon you. And yet you are still pursuing evil. You say the right things. You call out to me as your friend and as your father. But you still do absolutely everything evil that you can do. The picture here is somebody who is under God's judgment and yet refuses to repent. And that's what he's talking about here. That's what Solomon reminds us of is that the fool, no matter how often he is confronted, no matter how many good friends that he has to seek to protect him from the folly of sin and temptation, he will not allow them to protect him from judgment. He's like that, that, that petrified seed in the bottom of the mortar and pestle. And we know from other places in the book of Proverbs that one day God will take that seed out of the mortar and pestle and throw it away in judgment. What are you seeking 
What are you seeking to be the wise friend to do when you are confronted with a person who refuses to set aside their sin, their pride, and continues to move toward judgment? You point them to the only friend that can keep them from judgment. Matthew eleven eighteen and 19, Jesus takes upon himself as a mantle of glory the insult given to him by the religious leaders. He was accused of being a friend of sinners. He came near people who had the weight of God's grinding stone upon them because they refused to set aside their pride. He came, upon, he came near to people and he befriended them, called them out, called them to repentance, and then ultimately took the weight of that pestle upon himself so that they could have hearts that were willing to set aside sin and pride. And John 15, 15 reminds us that that friend, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, no longer considers us servants, but friends as well. Each and every one of us needs to come near the friend of sinners so that we can have salvation and so that we can be reminded of the power that is in those who have come near him and can set aside sin and avoid temptation. Brothers and sisters, your temptation when that friend comes to you and confronts you in your sin, whether it's a parent, whether it's a friend, whether it's a pastor, your temptation is to is to bow up, to tense up and to get angry and to fight back. But when that friend comes to you in the midst of your sin and your pride and openly rebukes you for that. We should fall to our knees, repent to God and thank God that somebody loved you enough to confront you in your sin and in your pride and to protect you from the judgment that you were bringing upon yourself. The wise friend offers us protection from temptation, protection from pride and protection from judgment. And verse 19 reminds us that our friends reflect who we are. You ever wonder whether or not you're on the road to wisdom and protection? Look at your friends. Do they love you enough to rebuke you in your sins or do they pretend to love you by accepting as you are, accepting you as you are? And vice versa, do you love your friends enough to protect them from the dangers and reality of sin? Or do you only pretend to love them by accepting them as they are? Anthony Esselin warned us that the Institute of Friendship is dying. And we as a culture will and are suffering for it. God declared in the garden that it was not good that man would be alone. In the church, in many ways, we have fallen in the trap of thinking that the only way to not be alone in this world is to be married. Seeing marriage to be the only cure for loneliness has caused us to idolize marriage and to value friendship in many ways. We as the church need to grow out of the myopic view of companionship and grow into a view of companionship that includes friendship like Solomon calls us to. Women, do your friends spur you on to holiness in every area of your life? And do you spur your friends on to holiness in every areas of their life? And in addressing the same people that Anthony Eslin addressed in his article, men, Don't avoid friendship because you're afraid of what the world around you will say about two men being close and intimate in their life. Don't fear the feelings of love and affection that come with wise friendship. 
At Jonathan's death, David said that the love that they shared was better than the love of a woman. He was not talking about sex. He was talking about the intimacy that is there between good friends. An intimacy that we in our culture are losing or have already lost. David and Jonathan spurred one another on to holiness. They spurred one another on to grow in grace. They protected each other from temptation, from pride, and from judgment. I exhort all of you, find a friend that will stick closer than a brother. Let us pray. Our glorious God and Savior above, how good it is that we have a Savior called the friend of sinners. Help us to pursue friends in this world, friends that love you. Help us to seek out men and women who will protect us from our own temptations, from our own pride, and from your judgment. And help us to be those friends to other people in our lives. Grow us through our friendships as our friendships grow through you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go this week, as you seek to live a life being a friend and seeking good, wise friends, take this blessing with you. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. We cry out as we await his return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.